Well, turning your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1, we're continuing, of course, our study of this powerful and practical letter. Of course, Paul the Apostle writes to Timothy, who's this young man, who's his fellow worker that Paul had basically picked up with him on his second missionary journey. He writes to encourage him and to inform him, not only personally, but he also writes to instruct the church at Ephesus. And he deals with such issues like leadership and false teachers and relationships within the body, so much more. Now, as we continue our study this morning, we're seeing Paul dealing with the first of the key issues that he, that he wants to talk about in the letter, and that's false teachers. We saw it last time. He talked about instructing certain men not to teach strange doctrines, and strange doctrines were things that were contrary to God's Word. Paul, in this passage, now also, we're going to see it this morning. We're going to get right at the very end. Paul deals with the issue of the law. What's the purpose of the law? Is the law for us? How does it fit? And we're talking about the Mosaic law. How does all this fit together? And what we'll do is we'll see that right at the end of the passage this morning. And then next week we're going to spend a lot on it and we'll see how that fits together. The goal, of course, is to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior Jesus Christ as we study First Timothy. Well, what I want to do is I want to start with this. What is, what is the purpose of the law? I mean, and when people talk about the law, sometimes they'll say about the Ten Commandments or the Mosaic Law. And, and, and when you think about law, sometimes we do think Ten Commandments. But realize that the law as a system was given to the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai. We did study the book of Exodus, and we saw that. The law was given to set the nation apart. And the law is not just Ten Commandments, because a lot of people say, well, the Ten Commandments. There are actually 613 commandments in the Mosaic Law. Now, today, many people get confused about the law, in fact, especially with Christians. What about the law? How, how, are, how are we to relate to the law? And people get confused. First of all, sometimes this. Sometimes many people think that the law has something to do with our salvation. People will say things like, in order to, to, to go to heaven or to be saved, you've got to keep the Ten Commandments or keep the law or, or try to do good or try to do something like that. There was a letter not too long ago. It's been over a year ago, but it was in the Stillwater News Press. It was a man who wrote, and he believes that the law is what saves you. And he believes that if you try to keep or keep, he'll say, you need to live by the Ten Commandments. That's how he put it. Now, the point of his little article in the, in the, in the uh, Stillwater News Press was that of the Ten Commandments, there's also keeping the Sabbath which most of us know the Sabbath Saturday, and he was teaching that we need to go to church on, sa- on Saturday as well. And so he says, for all Christians, we're under the Ten Commandments. We have to keep the law, the Mosaic law, especially even keeping the Sabbath. Well, the, the truth is this. We're not under the Mosaic law. We're not saved by keeping the law. In fact, Galatians 2.16 says, knowing man's not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So one confusion is some people think the law has something to do with salvation. But there's a second thing that confuses people about the law, and that is others think that we live the Christian life by trying to keep the law. In other words, the Christian life is a set of principles, and here's the law and the Mosaic law, and we try to live that. That Some say the standard for the Christian life is the law. In fact, R.C. Sproul, who's a writer of Reformed View, says this. He says, we must love the commandments. We must base our lives on the Old Testament law. Well, I want you to understand, just as the law is not the basis to be saved, the Christian life is not lived under the law as well. The Old Testament law has never been and will never be given of the basis for the Christian life. We're not under the Mosaic law, either for salvation or for Christian life. So that raises a question then, or a couple of questions. If the law does not save, and it can't, and if Christian life is not lived by trying to keep the law, then the question is this, What's the purpose of the law? What's the purpose of this law? 
The law has a purpose. We're going to see it. The law, of course, was why did God give this law to the nation of Israel? How do those sets of commandments, what do they have to do with us and what is the effect? Well, we're going to realize the law has a purpose. We'll see it right at the very end. And then next week we'll get into a lot more details about it. I just want you to get that this morning. Well, as we continue in our study of this letter, we just got started last time. We got the introduction in the background. This is like, I think, the third week of our study. Paul left Timothy in Ephesus. Ephesus was the main church of that day. It was a big city. It was in Asia Minor, which would be modern-day Turkey. Paul left there to go to Macedonia, which is northern Greece. He left Timothy there for a reason. Now, here's the reason that the church at one time was the greatest church, but some men in the church had begun to teach things that were not biblical. In fact, the way as you study the whole letter, it seems to be some of the men in leadership had turned away and began to teach things that weren't according to the Scripture. So Paul is telling Timothy, you tell those men not to teach those things. We saw it back in verse 3. Notice verse 3. He says, As I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrine. And so the problems have developed. Paul wants them to do that. The overall purpose of the book, uh, you might say, of 1 Timothy is found in chapter 3, verse 15, where he says he wants us to know how to conduct ourselves as we gather together as believers. There are a lot of good, a lot of good things in the letter that we're going to see over the weeks to come. It's six chapters. There's a lot in there. He deals with organization of the church, apostasy, false teachers, relationships in the body. It's very helpful for us for a number of reasons. First of all, it helps us to understand leadership in the body. That's something that we need to know as Christians, how are leaders supposed to be in the body, how, how they get raised up, what are they supposed to look like. Second big thing in the book is how to deal with false teachers and the results. There's false teaching everywhere. I hate to say that, but if you turn on the TV or read certain books or go certain places, you're going to get false teaching. We'll need to talk about that, and you need to know how to deal with false teaching. The third thing is how to relate with others in the body. That's really the key, because we're all in this thing together. We know Jesus Christ is Savior. We need to know how all this fits together. Let me break down the passage for you. This morning, we're just going to look at verses 5 through 8, but I put the little section of verses 5 through 11. All this goes together. In verses 5, 6, and 7, Paul deals with false teachers. In 8, 9, and 10, he deals with the purpose of the law. We're just going to get to that a little bit this morning. And then in verse 11, comes back to his responsibility. He says he's been entrusted with the gospel. All that flows together in that little section. So it's great. Now, let me remind you again that Paul's given instructions to Timothy, and he writes to encourage Timothy and to write to that church. The first issue is false teachers. Look again at verse 3. As I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct, and that word instruct literally means to command, that you may command certain men not to teach strange doctors. Now, he didn't tell us who these men are. Later on, he's going to talk about it as well. But if you notice, at the very end of chapter 1, he names two men's names. There's a guy by the name of Hymenaeus and another guy by the name of Alexander. The best that we can tell, these two men and maybe others were in leadership in the church at Ephesus, and Paul is dealing with them. He tells Timothy, you must tell those men not to teach strange doctrine, as he puts it. And, you know, this is not surprising. Paul had met with the elders of the church at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, and he tells them that there's going to be a time when people come into the body with false teaching, and they have to deal with it. Now, I want you to understand something. It's never happened at Countryside. I've been here 24 years. By the grace of God, because I hold to the Scripture, and our men hold to the Scripture, and we as a church hold to the Scripture, there's never been false teaching here. 
There's never been somebody that teaches things that are contrary to the Scripture. If there is, and I said this in the first service, if I ever get to a place where I am not teaching the Scripture, where we go verse by verse, passage by passage, where we see the Scripture and we make application, if I ever get to the point where I'm not doing that, you need to remove me from being the pastor. The role of the pastor is to teach the Word in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. We'll see that later as we go to 2 Timothy. So what's happening in this church is there were men and places of leadership who were no longer teaching the Scripture, teaching other things. Paul says they have to be dealt with. That, and that's why it's so, it's so vital that that's the very first thing that he talks about. So it's pretty tough. In fact, in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, in, The Spirit tells us that in latter times some will fall away from the faith paying attention to deceitful spirits and the doctrine of demons. That's what he calls it. And so it happens. It happens in everything. I mentioned this in the first service. You realize that in almost any institution, whether it's a school, whether it's a seminary, whether it's a church, as time goes by, historically, most places move from conservative, holding to the Scripture, to liberal and moving away from the Scripture. Think of all the, the, the Ivy League schools, Harvard and Yale. Those were all founded as seminaries to teach the Word of God and train people. They've moved away from that. Many seminaries in the United States that started out good, that were going to hold the Bible and teach the Bible, many of them over the years have moved away from the, uh, from the truth. There are churches that start off holding to the Bible and believing the truth, and as the years go by, they move away from the truth. And that's why I said, by the grace of God, this church has been in existence. Really, I came when I came, there were 11 people, but the church had already existed. The church had been going about a year and a half before I came. But when I came, there were only 11 members. But by the grace of God, over these years, as it's grown, we still maintain the integrity of the fact that the Word of God is the key. That's what we must hold to, that's what we believe, and that's what we teach. And so this is what Paul is telling Timothy, be careful because certain men have moved away. Now from that, and he talks about that, that's the key, he then moves to talking about the purpose of the teaching of the Bible. That's verse 5. We'll see that. Then he's going to go back and talk about false teachers again. But notice, look at verse 5. He says, but the goal, but the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. He says, here's the goal. The goal of our teaching is love. Now, here's the bottom line. The whole purpose of the teaching of God's Word is so that we'll make application and we will live lives characterized by love. That's what sets us apart from everybody else. When we go out these doors, it, the Bible tells us that, that people will know we belong to Jesus Christ by our love one for another. That's what sets us apart. That's why he says the goal of our instruction, meaning the goal of the Word. Now, uh, the key is the Word of God. And I mentioned this a while ago, but it has to be the foundation. The foundation for your life, the foundation for a local church, the foundation for a seminary, the foundation for anything has to be the truth of God's Word. You're going to find in this book that in chapter 1, Paul says that Word of God was entrusted to him. In chapter 6, he says he entrusted the Word of God to Timothy. And in chapter uh, chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, he actually says Timothy is to take what's been entrusted to him and entrust it to other people. The bottom line is we take the truths of God's Word. We know it. We apply it. We pass it on to others so they can pass it 
it on to others as well. That's the plan. We live in a culture and a society where people have moved away from the teaching of God's Word, and their people are into entertainment. They're into all kind of things except the truths of God's Word. And we have many Christians who go, go to church, go to places, do things, and they hear messages, but they're not getting the Bible. And that's why so many people have been Christians for years, and they don't even know the foundational truths of the Scripture. It's because it's not being taught. He says the goal, the goal of our instruction is love, that we're to be characterized by love. In fact, what is the greatest commandment? They came to Jesus and said, what's the greatest commandment? They were hoping to trick him. They knew there were 613 commandments in the Mosaic Law. They said, what's the greatest commandment in the law? They thought that no matter what Jesus said, they would say, well, what about the other 612? And so they said, what is the greatest commandment? He said, the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and your mind. And then he stopped and he said, and the second is equal to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The two great commandments are loving God and loving others. Everything else falls under that. That's why when Jesus went on and finished his ministry and he told his men, a new commandment I give you that you love others as I have loved you. The whole aspect of what we're supposed to do is lived out our lives based on the Scripture as we love one another. That's why we'll stand out. You'll stand out on that campus. You'll stand out in this community. You'll stand out wherever you are if you're a person that lives by the Scripture and you love other people. That's the key, and that's what he says. The goal of our instruction is love. That's the plan. Now, he has three things that love flows from. Notice he says, for the goal of our instruction is love from, which flows from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. What does he mean by that? Well, first of all, he says a pure heart. The only way you can have a pure heart is the fact that you have believed in Jesus Christ as Savior. The moment you trust Christ, you who are dead in trespasses and sins, you're now made alive. You're a new creation. Second Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. And so when you trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, you have a new heart. In other words, you're a new creation in Christ. And so the only way you're going to be able to show this kind of love is to be a new person. He says, so uh, love flows from a pure heart that's a person who's trusted in Christ and we're a new creation in Christ. Second thing, he says is a good conscience. Now, the only way you can have a good conscience is you deal with sin in your life. Now, we all know this, that when you do something wrong as a Christian, you're bothered by that because you have a conscience and your conscience is affected by, by the Word of God. And to have a good conscience is that you've dealt with sin. We all know that when you do something wrong, you're bothered. I, I talked to a person the other day and, and the person was doing something wrong. And so we were talking. And I said, that's wrong. And he said, yeah, I know it. I said, how do you feel about the fact? How do you feel about that? He said, I know it's wrong. I said, how do you feel about that? He said, I know it's wrong. I said, how do you feel about this? He said, I know it's wrong and it's bothering me. I said, you need to stop. And you could say the same thing to me and the same thing to you about anything that we're doing that we know is wrong. We need to deal with it. That will give you a good conscience. If you don't deal with it, you have a bad conscience because you're bothered by it because you know it's wrong. He says that love flows from a person who has a new creation in Christ, from a person who deals with their sins so that we have a good conscience. And then the third thing is a sincere faith. And what that means is a true faith, the idea based on Scripture. The faith is the Word of God. And the bottom line is that we live basing our lives on the Scripture. So it's a new creation, a new creation in Christ who's dealt with sin, who's living our lives according to the Bible. If you do that, you will be a person of love because you'll be filled with the Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? What's the first one? fruit of the Spirit is 
love. It's the very first one. In fact, it's the overarching one. All the others, love, joy, patience, patience, and all those go together. I can't even say it. Anyway, all those go together. They all come under love. Now, you want to make an impact for Jesus Christ. Then you're going to have to be a new creation in Christ. That's us. You're going to have to have a good conscience. You're going to have to deal with your sin. And you're going to have to have the sincere or the true faith, which means you live your life based on the Scripture. When you do that, you're going to make an impact because you're going to be a person of love. When we go out these doors, we need to be characterized as a person of love. So that's what he says. Now, from there, and, and this is where it gets hard again because he then moves back to the whole issue of false teaching. And what I want to do is something. I, I talked about this several, day, several weeks ago, but I want, to under, want you to understand something. There are two kinds of people who teach strange doctrine. He calls it strange doctrine, which means doctrine that's different than the Scripture. The first one is a person who is a false teacher. A false teacher is a person who knows what they teach is not found in the Scripture. They know that. There are people on the television. There are people in churches. There are people in certain places. There are people who are writing books. They know that the information that they are giving to you is not found in the Bible. They are false teachers. They know what they're doing is wrong. It may surprise you. It may, you may say, you mean somebody actually knows that what they teach is not from the Bible and they know it and they do it on purpose? The answer is yes, that's a false teacher. They're out there. There's a second type that do the strange doctrine, which is misguided. And those are people who, who they, they don't know the truth. They say something, and if you were to go to them and say from the Bible, look, see this? That doesn't match what you just taught. They might go, whoa, I've never seen that. I've I'm, I think I'm wrong here. That means that they're, they're teaching something that's wrong, but not on purpose. In this passage, when Paul is dealing with these people who are teaching strange doctrine, they're doing it on purpose. In fact, it says about these two men in verse 20 that they have shipwrecked their faith. That doesn't mean they've lost their salvation. You can't lose your salvation. It means they've gone away from the faith, the truths of God's word, and they're doing other things, and they know what they're doing. So he says this. Watch out for this. He, he tells us, he reminds Timothy of those who have turned away. And we're going to look at two things. What happened? Why did it happen? What happened and why did it happen? Verse 6, here's what happened. For some men, straying from these things, the things are the, the goal of instruction, pure, pure word of God. For some, straying from these things, have turned aside to fruitless discussion. They've turned aside. They've missed the mark. That word really means to move away. They moved away from the truths of God's word. We're going to find that as we study, and I'll teach, show you in just a few minutes, they really begin to emphasize. The people in Ephesus were emphasizing the Mosaic law, and they were warning the believers in Ephesus to come under the Mosaic law. That was what they were warning. We're going to see, he says, they moved away from the truth to fruitless discussions. Now, anytime you move away from the truth, there's going to be trouble. I want to give you two examples. I thought about this. I thought I'd just share this with you. Two examples in, that I know in my life of people who started good and then moved away from the truth. In the early 1950s, now this is before most of you, but there was a, there was a student at Dallas Seminary. He was brilliant. He made, he made A's on everything. In fact, he had a four-point grade point average when he graduated from Dallas. In fact, most of the time on every test, he made 100. He rarely made below 100. He made A's on everything. Uh, he was uh, 
an outstanding communicator. At Dallas Seminary, at the very end of the year, they pick five men that they call them the best of the preachers. They call the Senior Preaching Award. He was one of the five. So when he left Dallas Seminary, he not only was brilliant, he knew scripture, he knew theology, he knew everything, and yet at the same time, he was a great communicator. Well... He left and he and left seminary and he went to a local church and he started teaching. Of course, he was such a good teacher that people started coming. And before you know it, he started writing some books. Then he started this tape ministry. Back in those days, it was tape ministry. It wasn't CDs. It wasn't iPods. It wasn't any of that. It was just tapes, little cassette tapes. And they started going out and it started going over the whole United States. And everybody was saying, this guy's good. In fact, he put together a series called the Basics of Theology series, basic series, that I think was the best ever put together. Uh, almost everybody I know who really puts together foundational truths, they go back some to how that guy put that stuff together. But you know what happened? He began to change. He began to teach that each person had only one teacher that could teach them the Bible. Of course, who do you think that was? That was him. He had his church and he told them that they were never to listen to anyone else because he, God had said that every person had only one teacher they were supposed to listen to and of course he was their teacher. And then on the cassette tapes he said everyone who receives his tapes they should listen only to him. He actually told them that if they couldn't move to where he was that they needed to not go to church but listen to the tapes. He began to change. And then he began to come up with, uh, with teachings that weren't, that weren't from the Bible. And he would tell people that this is stuff that he's got from God and that he would explain it to them. And he moved away from the truth. And now today he's still alive, but he doesn't teach much anymore. Um, it's almost like a cult is what he is now. I have to tell you about another one. There's a Bible teacher that in... Uh, the mid-70s, I started listening to him. He's on the radio. And I, had, I trusted Christ when I was 19. And when I was about 25, 26, I started listening to him because I started to grow as a Christian. And I, I, I would listen to this guy every day. I was coaching at Mississippi State, and, and I would still – it came on at night. And so sometimes by the time – even when I was in the office at night, I could still turn him on and listen to it. And, and he was, oh, man, a great Bible teacher. And he taught that you're saved by faith alone, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And then I went on to seminary in 81, and then in the early 80s, I began to listen to him and keep listening to him, but I began to notice that something was different. He began to teach that you weren't saved just by faith anymore. That it was really that you needed to commit your life to Jesus, and you needed to serve him in order to be saved. And if you weren't serving Jesus, you weren't a Christian. And so he moved to what we call Lordship Salvation. So he moved from grace alone, by faith alone in Christ, to saying that if you, you had to commit your life to Jesus in order to be saved or you wouldn't be saved. And you had to serve him or you're not saved. And he said, if you look at your life and you're not serving God, you're not a Christian. Moved away from the truth. One of the great Bible teachers moved away from the truth. Paul says, some men straying from these things, the truth, have turned aside to fruitless discussion, and that's idle talk, worthless discussions, things that aren't in the Scripture. Well, why did that happen? We saw what happened, they turned away. Why did it happen? Well, it says literally they wanted to be law teachers. Notice what it says in verse 7, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they're saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. 
They wanted to be law teachers. Now, when we say law teachers, that means people who hold to the Mosaic law. He says what's happened in Ephesus is that there were people in leadership or people who were teaching who moved away from the Bible and saying that people needed to be put under a law system. Uh, If you read Paul in Romans or Galatians or Ephesians, or almost any of his letters, Paul will make it very clear that we do not live the Christian life under the law. We're not under the law. We live the Christian life in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so here is teaching that is contrary. So Paul tells Timothy, you've got to deal with those people because they want to be teachers of the law, but they don't understand either what they're saying or the matters about which they make confident assertion. Now, there's something that's important for every one of us in this room. That is, you must know the Scripture so that when people move away from the truth, you can recognize that they're moving away from the truth. So that when something's being taught that doesn't match the Scripture, you can say, that, that doesn't match the Scripture. That's why 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show yourself approved to work, but need not be ashamed, handling accurately the Word of God. You've got to study and accurately get into the Scriptures. You can know it so that when you hear things that are wrong, it's very powerful. They wanted to be law teachers. You know some of the things that people teach today? They say this. They say God's love. That's true, isn't it? Isn't God love? But they say that's all God really is. See, God is so loving, He would never send anybody to hell. So there's no such thing as hell. Because God is such a loving God, He would never send anybody to hell. That's not accurate. When a person believes in Jesus Christ, they have eternal life. When a person does not believe in Jesus Christ, they're going to be separated from Him forever. That's truth. Sometimes they say that there are, uh, you know, there's like one God, but a lot of different ways to God, a lot of different names for God. A lot of different ways to get to God. No, that's not true. Jesus Christ said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ, and it is through faith in Him. Some people say that the Bible is a good book. It's got some errors in it. It's got some problems. It's a good book, but we might need some other books, and we need some other things. No, you don't need other books. You need the Word of God. It's alive and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. It never comes back void, but accomplishes the purposes that God has for it. It's profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, thoroughly equipped for every good work. John 17, 17, thy word is truth. You don't need another book. You need the Scripture. You need to know the Scripture. You need to memorize the Scripture. You need to understand the Scripture. You need to live out the Scripture. You don't need another book. It's the key. They've turned from the path. Now, he then goes, since he said they won't be law teachers... He says, well, what's the purpose of the law then? Verse 8 is going to talk about it, verses 8 and 9. We're going to get to the details next week. But, but what is the purpose of the law? Why would God give the law? Why did God give the law to Israel? Let me tell you something. There's some things that we see. The law does a number of things. The law shows that you're a sinner and you can't measure up. We all come short of the glory of God. We cannot measure up. The law is the character of God and we all sin. And the law tells us you're a sinner and you need a Savior. Number two. The law brings a curse. It brings a curse. Because it says you have to keep the law perfectly. And if you mess it one time, you're under the curse of the law, which is separation from God. That's what the law tells you. The law tells you you're a sinner. And the law tells you you're destined for hell. That's what the law tells you. Third thing that the law does, law cannot give you power. The law can tell you where you're wrong, but the law cannot give you the power to do right. 
you can understand the law is not for salvation to save save people. You can't be saved by the law, and you don't live the Christian life by the law. What's the law for? Look what Paul says in verse eight. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. In other words, the law is good if you use it right. The law is good. It's the character of God. Romans chapter seven verse twelve says the law is holy and just. So here's the question. How is the law to be used if it doesn't save anybody and if it's not the basis of the Christian life? What is the purpose of the law? Simply put, the law is for the unbeliever to show them they need a Savior. The law is for the unbeliever. I want you to look at the next verse. Verse 8 says, We know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that the law is not made for a righteous person. That means a person who has trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior. You get righteousness by faith. The law is not made for a believer, but notice, but for those who are lawless and rebellious. And then he goes on and lists things. The law is for the unbeliever. Now, people have been taught the opposite. The law is for the unbeliever, not the believer. We're going to go into details next week. I'm going to give you a whole bunch of information, so don't miss next week because I'm going to give you a whole bunch of stuff up on the screen about the law and the background of the law and all those kind of things, and we'll see how it fits, to get, fits together. There's some powerful things there. What have we seen this morning? We've seen the, the whole false teachers. We've seen that the goal of teaching is, is love, that we're to live out uh, our lives in love from, from basically one who knows Christ as Savior, one who's dealt with sin, and one who's living our lives based on the truth. We th- see there's, there's a problem that people have moved away in in Ephesus they moved away from the truth but it's a problem today in the same way what is the proper use of the law because they want to be law teachers the proper use of the law is for the unbeliever and not the believer let me give you some applications okay first one is this let's love one another that's the key he says the goal of our instruction is love let's go out these doors living our lives as new creations in Christ Having dealt with our sin, living our lives based on the Scripture, let's show love one to another. That will set you apart from everybody else in the world. You will make an impact for Christ on that campus and in this community if we show love one to another. So we've got to do that. That is the key. That's the, the bottom line And as we do that. Now, second, be ready to deal with false teaching and teachers. Now, by the grace of God, we've never dealt with it here. I've never had to. There have been times that people would teach something we believe is contrary. We'd go to them and say, we think that you know we don't hold to that. And, and they usually would leave or they would say, oh, I, I just didn't understand that or something. But we've never had the problem where a person said, I'm going to stand here and do this. We've, had, we've never had that. There may come that time we have to. There may come a time in your life that you're going to have to deal with false teaching. What do you do? Well, be able to discern what is taught. You're going to have to know what's right. You know, the way you know what's wrong is you know what's right. B, be ready to confront false teaching. There comes a time when people teach things that are not according to the Bible that you have to deal with it. You have to deal with it. And then the last part is this. Continue to grow. Continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, not in useless thinking, which as he calls some of this fruitless discussion, things that aren't found in the Scripture. Last but not least, understand the purpose of the law. The law is for unbelievers to show sin. That's what it's for. It's not the basis for salvation. It is not the basis of the Christian life. Either way, 
We'll talk more about it next week. We'll see how it fits together. Hope you have an understanding. So may we understand purpose of the law as we seek to love one another as we deal with false teachers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you, Lord, for the great truths here. Lord, we just want to love each other. We know that that's the plan, that as we live our lives based on the Scripture, as we new creations in Christ, dealing with sin, living by the Word of God, we can love one another. Lord, we know that Jesus told us that they they will know that we belong to Jesus by our love one for another. So I pray, Lord, as we scatter out in this community, that we'll show that love. People will see that we're different, and they'll see that we belong to Christ. Lord, we know that there may come a time in our lives that we have to deal with false teaching. We see that it happens in our country, our culture. It's happened in the Scripture. It happens now. May we be ready to to know what's right, to be ready to confront, and to continue to grow. And Lord, finally, help us to understand the, the purpose of the law. I know that sometimes people teach things differently than that, but as we look at the Scripture, Lord, we'll see clearly that it was basically given to the unbeliever so that they could see their need for a Savior. Lord, thank you for the truths from your word. Help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.